Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you for joining me for this special Christmas episode of Unbeatable. My guest this week is Jill Stevenson. She displayed one of the greatest acts of strength. I think one of the biggest acts of courage I've ever seen a woman display in my life personally. There's a moment where Jill displayed more courage and strength than any woman I've ever seen in my life. But the reason why I waited to the week of Christmas to do this episode with Jill is because she also gave the greatest Christmas gift a human being could ever give to another human being. Jill will tell her story. She'll tell about her son, Ben, and she'll tell about four people who literally got a second chance of life because of Ben on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Hey, Jill, thank you so much for joining me. Great to see you. I'm glad you're with us for this episode of Unbeatable. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you, too. Yeah, it's been a while since you and I were able to sit down and hang out and spend some time together. Um, Tell me where you're at and describe what's going on in your life, what, what you're doing right now. Yeah, I think the last time we saw each other was at that uh, Ranger Rendezvous in 2017. Yep. So down at Fort Banning. And uh, I am currently living in Bentonville, Arkansas. Actually, technically Centerton. I just moved about a month ago. But, really? Uh, from when we last saw each other, I've moved a couple times. Uh, I was in Minnesota for a little bit, spent some time with my dad. And then I uh, came down to Arkansas and been here about a year and a half. And I'm just settling in and, and being still for a little while and, nice. and just on some things. And, and 2023 will be a, a big year for what I've been working on. Good for you. Um, you. Hey, I don't think you heard this directly from me, but during that Ranger rendezvous that you and I met together, I was nudging everybody in the elbow and pointing at you. And I was like, that lady right there, you need to go get to know her if you've never met Jill before <laughs> and telling everybody how amazing you are. I hope you were surrounded by people after I talked to them. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for that, Jeff. And and that rendezvous is always a great place to connect with our ranger family too but yeah um, and there's never enough of us you know we can now more can always be added so thanks thanks for that little nudge totally agree yeah and i think you're a pretty smart lady because it's winter time and you were like i'm getting out of minnesota and moving mm-hmm. down south i'm gonna go to the walmart headquarters of the universe but at least it's warmer here than minnesota it, it right we're here but we still get snow and in fact i woke up to maybe an inch and a half two inches of snow on the ground this morning and it's pretty, but it, it doesn't last. Unlike in, yeah. in Minnesota where we know it, you know, once it snowed in, in December, you know, and, and this close to the holidays, uh, it, it isn't going to go away, but here it goes, it goes away. Yeah. Good, good uh, reminder for everybody who doesn't live in that frigid upper Midwest part of the United States. Um, you, as you know, Jill, I, I spent a lot of time growing up in the northern part of Iowa, not mm-hmm. far from where you lived. And yeah. when it starts snowing in November ish up there, there's snow on the ground. Look, sometimes until March or April, right? I even oh, remember yeah. snow, no exaggeration, in June one year, um, mm-hmm. living up in the northwest corner of Iowa. It can happen. It definitely can happen. 
Yeah. So when Arkansas gets a couple of inches of snow and it's gone the next day, you're like, yawn. I come from a place where it snows for six and a half months a year. Exactly. Yeah, this is this is nothing. This is nothing. And then you get mosquitoes that are about six inches big up in the uh, upper Midwest because of all of that, you know, uh, wet, moist summers up that way, too. But yeah. we'll, we'll get off of the mosquitoes in the snow for a few minutes. Yeah. Um, hey, so let's talk a little bit about um, the when you and I got connected. We kind of got connected in a very unusual way. Um, in fact... Mm-hmm. I want us to talk about the person that connected the two of us, your son, Ben. Mm -hmm. And I really want him to be the focus of this episode. But Jill, we, I saved the best for the end of the year, 2022. Um, It's the week of Christmas. And I wanted people to hear one of the most incredible gifts any human being has ever received came from your son, Ben. I don't want to spoil it for the audience. So we'll Mm -hmm. talk about the gifts that Ben gave. Um, but let's talk about Ben. Um, tell everybody what kind of a child he was growing up. Describe him a little bit, what it was like for you as a mama to have your only son who uh, was wild, strong, and very, very talented. Yes, um, he was. Um, yeah, single mom with a, with a boy, with a little boy. And Ben was 100% boy from the very beginning. He was always adventurous, always getting into some type of shenanigans. Uh, he loved being outside. Uh, I love being outside. So he, he got some of that from me, but he was very driven. Uh, he had a sense of humor and he was always focused on what, what he wanted to do. He was everybody's best friend growing up and he loved people that were older than him. He yeah. sought out wisdom from adults. So he, he did better almost or see in seeking out that adult company. I mean, he liked hanging around with kids too, but he liked the adult company just to be able to absorb um, the wisdom that they had from their life experience, but always an adventurous from when he was a little boy. And that of course spilled over into him becoming a ranger. Yeah. No wonder that he would do so well in the United States army and fit in so well as an army ranger He's the kid who loves being outside, loves an adventure, doesn't mind getting in a little bit of trouble and skinning up a knee or two as a boy, right? Oh, exactly. Exactly. In fact, I will tell you that Levi's jeans never held up to Ben. (laughs) (laughs) They should have sent you free clothes and said, if Ben can handle, if these these clothes can handle Ben, then they can handle anybody, right? Exactly. Exactly. I had to switch brands, just saying, because the Levi's didn't hold up to his adventures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I already know the answer to this question, but tell us about Ben as a high schooler, like what kind of athlete student he was. Ben was very athletic. He was always focused on being healthy, which made him a good athlete. He excelled at baseball in middle school. He was actually a really good catcher. And I encouraged him to pursue that, but he had no, he didn't have an interest in taking that any further. He wanted to play football. And so he played football all four years of high school. That gave him year round access to the gym, which helped him to stay fit and healthy. So he, he could not just, you know, it wasn't just the gymnasium for running. It was the gym with the weight equipment. So he, he stayed fit year round, even though football, you know, is, is a short season, Mm -hmm. 
Ben, you know, that sense of adventure followed him right up through high school. Um, he was a very good looking guy. So the girls loved him. Of he course. Was, of course. Yes. He was everybody's best friend, though. He did not fit into any category of high school or he truly was a friend to everybody in, in every every one of those groups, you know, that we have in, in high school. But uh, very tenacious, very driven. And uh, he was also a hard worker. He was yeah. a guy that held jobs from when he was very young and enjoyed doing that, enjoyed working and having his own money. And I, I didn't have to help him with that at all. It came naturally to him. He, and I think that he learned a lot of that, though, from my grandfather, a World War II veteran yeah. who knew what, what it, the appreciation of doing gratuitous work, that you work hard, um, you can play hard, and you earn, right. earn that freedom from your hard work. Yeah. Ben had a level of maturity while he was in high school. We talked about this. Mm -hmm. um, and that level of maturity was probably heavily influenced by your grandfather. So can you describe like, why did your grandfather have such a big influence? Like, what was the relationship like between him and Ben? Well, going back a little bit, Jeff, I raised Ben as a single mom, and he was my only child, a boy, obviously. So my grandfather was the strongest male role model that Ben had. My grandparents had a cabin up north in Minnesota is what we say. You're familiar with that in the Midwest, yeah. but in, in northern Minnesota. Um, it was about a three-hour drive from where we lived, and I spent a lot of time at the cabin as a little girl myself. And so when I had Ben, I in turn wanted to allow him to sure. share the same experiences. So we were on a lake that had no public access. So we could fish and swim without being, you know, interrupted or having to be too cautious about other people being in the way. But there was a lot of fishing that went on up there, a lot of fun outdoors things, but there was also a lot of chores that were required yeah. to be done because it was a, a, a large property outdoors. So there was yard work and, and boat motors to keep clean and, mm -hmm. and like that. And so Ben followed my grandfather around and took, just absorbed everything that he had to say and showed him like a little sponge. And it, it began when he was very young, about seven years old. And wrapped up in all that was the fact that my grandfather was a World War II veteran. Yeah. And he served in uh, with the infantry uh, as a Minnesota Red Bull. And he had some, uh, he had some mementos uh, on display in the cabin that Ben took all right. He was very, very little. And that's when the questions began. And they just grew as time went on. Um, and Ben's admiration grew as well as my grandfather explained to him what some of those things were. And Ben yeah. wanted to know what some of those things were. And, and so his admiration, like I said, was all wrapped up in the fact that he was a veteran and that he served his country honorably. And all the other things came along with that package. So Ben truly admired him for everything he was as a man, you know, as, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a great grandfather, you know, as someone who served his country, somebody who actually worked for the government. My grandfather was a retired postal worker. All right. And with the work that the hard work that he had done all his life, he was able to buy mm -hmm. this cabin for a whole family to mm -hmm. enjoy. So Ben wanted to become him essentially. Yeah. Well, for people that are listening from around the world, it's hard to overestimate the kind of respect 
that Americans have for the World War II generation. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. we use this phrase, the greatest generation, and we really do mean that with that mm -hmm. phrase, like those guys and gals that fought in World War II, to this day, I have the greatest respect for them. And it's only natural that if Ben had a great grandfather that was a World War II veteran, that he would be a guy that Ben would look up to. Yeah. But I was just thinking, you described like the ideal teenage boy's paradise when you're talking about a cabin way up north with lots of fishing, lots of stuff to do outdoors, a little bit of work that goes along with it, but a lot of play outdoors. Like, I don't, that sounds like the ideal summers for any, any guy that I know. Yeah, it, it was. It was for me as a little girl. And then again, for Ben, you know, it yeah. allowed him to have those same experiences. And we, we spent a lot of time up there. Any, any chance we, we got and it didn't, it, it oftentimes was just a long weekend. You know, we would yeah. drive up on Friday after work and come back on Sunday night. And just to have even 48 hours away from the, the city life you know, uh -huh. in, our, in our suburban area, uh, it was still a, a, a great experience and a wonderful getaway. Yeah. Well, now that we're walking down memory lane for just a second, this is the week of Christmas. Mm -hmm. How about if we just reminisce for a second? I was uh, thinking about some of my fondest Christmas memories. And I was about to ask you, like, what's one of those memories that you're going to look back on and say, I'm going to cherish that Christmas memory for the rest of my life? If you don't mind, what is that memory and what makes it so special for you? And then I'll, I'll kind of tell you the same thing. Well, uh, gosh, for me, I have to go way back to when I was a little girl, probably about six or seven years old. And mm -hmm. I have... Uh, a lot of cousins come from a, a large family. We had our Christmas always at, we had two of them, but one of them was at my mother's parents' house. So this grandfather that I've been speaking of already, it was at his home. There were six children, um, including my mom, and then their spouses, and then all the cousins. And as the, the littlest children, we got all the presents, but there everybody yeah. got gifts. You know, way back then, I'm talking in the early 70s, and the Christmas tree was just loaded. I mean, it was overflowing awesome. with gifts. And so we, it was so exciting to go get the gifts and find our little spot in the house to, to put our pile up there mm -hmm. and open them up. And why that's special to me, I mean, it wasn't about the gifts, you know, and looking back, it was about sharing that, mem building those memories together and having that time as a family and just cherishing each other yeah. and not being as young as I was and not being affected by, you know, the ugliness of the world that can come in and, and not feeling, oh, you know, yeah. I wasn't alone. I, I had shelter. I had food. I had all these wonderful gifts and just the magic. It was just a true magic of Christmas that I got to experience. Yeah. I can take myself yeah. right back. That sounds pure and innocent. It actually sounds awesome. I hope other listeners are saying, yep, I had a moment like that too. Mm -hmm. um, I was trying to think of my one of my fondest Christmas memories, and it's actually not Christmas Day. Um, it is as a father, when our children were really young, they had lots of gifts from lots of family and friends. And we decided for a, a season as a family, hey, we're going to go and honor some children who are struggling and don't have what we we have. So 
Um, a week or two before Christmas, my wife and I asked our children, hey, we're going to go and give some gifts away to children that are in need. And in fact, what we're going to do is we're going to go to the hospital because they can't even be home with their families. And we're going to go give gifts to children that don't have a lot of money and don't have what we have. And then I said, I'm going to give some of my stuff away to the parents. Would you be willing to give up some of your toys? Now, our children were really young, and this is a moment that will stick with me for the rest of my life. We didn't put any pressure on them. You don't have to give anything if you don't want. You can give one thing. You can give a lot of stuff. You can give whatever you want, or you can give nothing. But we're just going to go as a family on Christmas Day, and we're going to go bless another family and do something nice for their children. And the moment that I will remember forever is watching my children pick out one of their toys and say, I want to give this to somebody else. But what really stunned me, Jill, was they chose their precious toy, like the toy above all of the other toys that's like mm -hmm. number one on their list. And they decided, I want to go give this thing away. And I'm like, are you sure? Because like, that's your favorite toy. And right. they said, no, I want to give it away. And I was just blown away. No pressure at all from us mm -hmm. as parents, just blown away by their generosity. I was thinking, this is I wish everybody uh, could see just how generous they were being. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, let's move forward in time a little bit to the point where Ben comes to you and starts talking about joining the military because he kind of had a, a great-grandfather that was influencing him. But when did you learn he's really serious about this? Well, that came in 2001 when Ben was 13. In April of that year, my grandfather had succumbed to cancer. He was mm -hmm. 82 years old. It was the very first death that Ben had experienced. And as yeah. we've already been talking, Ben absolutely just worshipped the ground that he walked on. He was he was his hero. He was 100% yeah. his hero. So when he died, it, it, it broke him. It made him incredibly sad. So much so, he told me he didn't want to talk about it. I allowed him to be silent which wasn't, and I didn't pressure him to speak about right. it. It was hard because he was 13. And any of you that are listening, and Jeff, you know you've raised boys, 13-year-old boys don't talk a lot anyway. So yeah. Yeah. they kind of just mumble and grumble. So it was okay to just let them be. But five months later, 9-11 happened. And so Ben's great sadness now took a turn, and it, and yeah. it changed directions. And he was now very angry and very upset. And he wanted revenge. And his revenge was not just for the innocent lives that were lost that day, uh -huh. but for his great-grandfather's service to America. To him, it was a mockery of that service. Like he did, My great-grandpa, he defended our country, and he went to war for us, and this can't happen on American soil. Right. So he made a declaration at that time that he was going to become an Army Ranger, find Osama bin Laden, and make him pay. And, and it was from that day forward, 9-11, that I knew without a doubt that Ben was going to join the military. And anybody who knew it, anybody else who knew him from that time also believed that. 9-11, it, um, it sealed Ben's fate. Yeah. And it became yeah. the true north that he never looked away from. So when he came to me in the fall of his senior year and told me that he had spoke to a recruiter, and he wanted to sign up for the delayed entry program. Mm -hmm. I said, of course you did, <laughs> you know, and of course yeah. you 
and, and he had a January birthday and this was September, October. Uh-huh. And he said, if you don't sign the papers now, he can sign them himself in January. And I, I didn't hesitate right. because I, I knew that this yeah. day was coming. Well, I want to point out the focus that he had. So 13 years old and he's deciding I'm going to join the army. I'm going to become a ranger. I'm going to fight Afghan. I'm going to go fight against bin Laden. And lots of 13-year-olds boys say that. But Ben had the focus to not just say it, but to actually do it, which yeah. is very, very unusual. Yeah, um, very, very rare. I us, yeah. As a mother, a single mother, only child, tell us a little bit about what's going on in your heart when he says, I've already talked to a recruiter and I'm going to sign the papers anyway if you don't sign for me, but I'm joining up. Like, What was that like for you personally? A lot of people ask me that question, Jeff. And a lot of people now, especially in, in hindsight, because Ben, you know, lost his life, why I didn't stop him? Why I didn't, yeah. you know, put down that, you know, take hold of that power because he was my only child and say, I don't want you to go. You can't go. Because of his upbringing and, and how deep rooted I knew that his wanting to serve was, mm-hmm. I never felt it was my place to get in the way of that. I, I believed it was what he was meant to be here for. That was yeah. part of the the purpose and the plan that God had for his life from, you know, before he was born. It was still hard in knowing that he was going to be leaving because as a single mom, he was my focus right. for 18 years. 18 years, it was, you know, everything was about Ben. And I had, you know, I, I lived and worked and breathed everything for Ben and providing shelter and food and, you know, home for him. And I was able to do that, you know, by the grace of God. But when, when, as the days got closer and closer to him leaving it, it was hard for me because he wasn't going to be there any longer. Uh, But I knew, like I said, I knew it was his destiny. And I also wasn't worried about him at all because he was so independent and so mature for his age that I I knew it wouldn't, it wasn't going to be something that would break him. Yeah. Well, this says a lot about your heart, Jill. It says a lot about your love for your country because I know, you know, but the listener may may miss the fact that when Ben says this, the nation is at war. And by joining the military, he is virtually saying, I know I'm going to get sent to war. Mm-hmm. And when you're a mother signing the paperwork so that your son can go join the army, you're saying, I know you're going to send my son off to war, mm-hmm. which is no small thing. Even if you had many children, even if you weren't a single mom, this is a really, really big deal at this moment in our history. Yeah, it it it, it is, and it was, and I tried not to think of that bigger picture and and not to get lost in the worry and in the snowballing of that. And yeah. I tell people that at that stage of my life, you know, Ben was graduating from high school. Um, I was still very young myself because I had been mm-hmm. very young. And so I was looking forward to this freedom that right. I had that I hadn't been yeah. able to enjoy for many yeah. years being that single mom. And so there was an excitement for me. But I also came to realize that we were now going to be separated and that we weren't we weren't one any longer, one not physically. Right. It, we were gonna be in different parts of the world. But it was then I came to realize that I had to turn over his well being to God. Yeah. I had to completely trust that God was going to take care of him just as he had in all the growing up years. And then it dawned on me that, well, wait a minute, 
He hasn't just been taking care of Ben and me as a whole, you know, as one unit, but of us separately. Right. And it was an epiphany for me, Jeff, because I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> he's going to take care of me too, just yeah. like he yeah. And and that was, you know, things changed for me the way that I that I saw things and I was able to not ever get lost in a pit of worry about yeah. what I was doing and just to, to let it be because I, as I mentioned, you know, I, I believe it was his destiny to join the military and go fight for his country, right. despite the risks. He knew, he knew exactly what the risks were when he signed his name on that dotted line. Well, Jill, this is why I always look military families in the eye and tell them thank you because you gave an enormous sacrifice. I'm not just talking if Ben would have made it back alive, that alone would have been a sacrifice. But many military families really struggled with the fear. They never got over the fear. They always wanted that soldier, sailor, airman, or Marine to get out of the military because of the danger associated with it. And it sounds like you recognized, look, I can't do anything to protect him, but he's in God's hands and there's no better place to be than in God's hands. So I'm just going to trust him with, uh, in God's hands and you're in God's hands at the same time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, you summed it yeah, up. I hope some listeners, I hope some listeners are hearing from you right now because they're struggling with some stuff that's going on in their family and they would really like to step in and to fix it, but they can't just like you couldn't take care of Ben while he was overseas. Mm -mm. And I mm -mm. hope they're hearing, leave it in his hands, trust it in God's hands. He will take care of it. And it may not always turn out the way you want him to, but he will still take care of things. Yeah. Yeah. In all situations, in, in all situations. Yeah. He will. And, and I, and I believe what's meant to be is, is meant to be no matter what we do as humans, we can't interfere with what God's plans are for us. You know, he can't, we cannot cancel what God has called us to do. We're, right. we're not capable. Yeah. Well, you've already said it to, to the listeners. Obviously Ben joins the military. Obviously he becomes a ranger. You've already said he goes to combat and he's killed, but I don't want people to miss how this happens. So can you describe really Ben's first combat deployment and then Ben's last combat deployment and what they were like for Ben, what they were like for you, and tell everybody a little bit about what this was like when Ben was getting ready to go off to Afghanistan the last time. So Ben joined the military at one month after high school. He made good on that promise and literally was one month to the day from when he graduated to leaving for Fort Benning to train with the infantry mm -hmm. in exactly the same place that his great-grandfather had some 60 years earlier. How about that? Yeah, that was, that was very, very special. Seven months later, he had completed the training that was required of him to become a ranger, and he was assigned to the 3rd Ranger Battalion at Fort Benning, Georgia. Mm -hmm. Three years later, he was on his way to his third deployment. And I, I jump ahead just to say that in three short years, he was already facing the third deployment because as Rangers, unlike I'll say the big army, big military, they deploy about once a year. So one yeah. year of service is almost always equal to one deployment. Yeah. So ben, ben had done two deployments to Iraq prior to the Afghanistan deployment. And he kind of blew them off to me as if they were, oh, we just 
did stuff that you do on deployments. We didn't share <laughs> yeah. a lot of details we with did you. did some cool stuff over there. Yeah. So, yeah, we did some cool stuff. Yeah, exactly. And he did, he really didn't share a lot with me, but it increased his confidence of mm-hmm. being a man and of being a ranger each time that he completed another level of training. And then with a the deployment, as you know, that's like, you know, mm-hmm. completing the, the greatest of all. Yeah. Right. So when he came home in between those deployments or after them, I could see the change in him. He stood a little taller. He stood a little prouder. It was noticeable, not just to me, but to other people. Then, in fact, on one of those times he came home, he thought that he had grown taller. He literally thought. Oh, really? He, he physically yeah. got taller while he was over in Iraq. Yes. yes. And and we had one of those, uh, um, a little bit of bare wall showing in our laundry room. Yeah. And we had the two by four where we had been uh-huh. his height growing up. So he wanted me to measure him. And, <laughs> and I thought awesome. he was taller too. Yeah, we went down and measured him. And I said, you know, sorry, bud. <laughs> you're not taller. You know, your spirit has grown and yeah. your man has grown by leaps and bounds, but you're still the same height. But anyway, um, come the, the spring of 2009, Ben was facing that third deployment to Afghanistan. And he had some real fears about it because they were told they were going to see combat at a level that he had not seen before. Yeah, right. They yeah. were going to a place, um, you know, going after a high value target that had been in hiding for a long time. And he just had a, a feeling about it, you know, a true trepidation about going over there. And he expressed that to my mother and myself and only a select few of his friends. Yeah didn't have that same feeling of tenacity and drive that he did going into the previous deployments. And, and it was physically obvious that it was weighing on him. Mm-hmm. This was going to be different. And, and you know, in hindsight, I can say he probably had a gut feeling like in, in yeah. Yeah. instinctively he knew that something wasn't right. So halfway through that deployment, he left um, in early May, uh, mid-May, to go to Afghanistan. And the first week of July, he called me. We had a wonderful conversation, uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes. Ended mm-hmm. it like we did every other conversation, you know, with I love you. And 10 days right. later, I got a phone call from his company commander that Ben had been shot by a sniper. At that point, he had undergone surgery to remove the bullet from his leg and was lying in the recovery area. And they were waiting for him to wake up. The only question hey, Joe, that I let me had, just pause you. Uh, sure. I was going to say, let me just pause you at this point in the story because I want to point out to the listeners a couple of things you just said. Ben has been in the army for three years. He's gone to combat now three times, mm-hmm. and this is at the height of the wars, both in Iraq and Afghanistan. We used yeah. to have a phrase in the Rangers, like your first or second time at war, you felt 10 feet tall and bulletproof. That's literally what we would say mm-hmm. because of all of the great training and the amazing people that you're around. And obviously Ben felt physically taller and bulletproof. Yes. But every guy that I know who's been to combat a few times starts to realize, you know what? I'm not bulletproof and I survived the last one but I might not survive the next one. And combat starts to become a lot more realistic and a lot more scary. The first time you kind of don't know what to expect. By the second, you get an idea. By the third, fourth, seventh, in some cases, 15th time, you have a very real idea about this. 
And it sounds like not only did Ben have more realistic expectations of combat, but he also realized like something is telling me that this may be my last one. Mm-hmm. And he's even telling you that before he goes, which I can't imagine what this felt like for you as a mom, hearing your son say this and knowing he has to go anyway and I can't stop this from happening. He can't stop this from happening. So before we get into the details of that sniper attack that cost him his life, what was it like when he said, mom, this doesn't feel the same and I'm scared without using those words? Right, right. It, you know, it's a helpless feeling, Jeff. It's, it's not being able to, to help somebody that you love who's essentially yeah. reaching out to you and saying, I, I don't know what to do. But never did it occur to me that he would lose his life. Never did it cross my mind. And I wasn't really? thinking that and I didn't ask him that. And mm-hmm. that goes back to the, you know, what I spoke about earlier is that I just had faith that God was going to take care of us. And I did yeah. not allow my mind to go to that place. I just, you know, I, I told him that he he had every right. It was rightful for him to have fears about going there right. because he knew that they were it was gonna to be tougher than the last deployments. But uh-huh. he he had, he was trained for that. Right. He was trained for that and he knew that and he had every trust in in his brothers around him that, you know, they're protecting each other. Yeah. And it was just it was a gut feeling. And there there was nothing I could do about it other than just remind him of how strong he was what he had survived already, that this is what he had been training for. This is what he wanted to do in life. And, and that's, you know, like where, where we left it, it was a pep talk that I'd given him many times in other instances, but this definitely was the, you know, the peak of the mountain on the level of what he was facing. But again, all we could do is just leave it in God's hands and hope for the best. Yeah, I was thinking every parent knows what you're describing right now because every parent has had a child that's struggling or maybe even suffering, and you mm-hmm. would give everything you have to stop stop the struggling, stop the suffering, but you can't. You're helpless, and in your case, Ben is struggling, mm-hmm. and you can't stop it. He can't stop it, and I just this this is why I respect warriors and military families so much. The fact that Ben was willing to go, knowing that something bad might happen this time around. And the fact that you were willing to see your son go, even though it's possible I might not ever see him again, it's incredible the kind of sacrifice that you and your family has made for our country. So now let's get to the rest of the story. Jill, you and I meet for the first time while your son is in the hospital I'm on vacation with my family, just got back from a combat deployment, and I get a call while I'm on vacation saying, hey, there's been something really bad that's happened. There's a family that's requesting you by name, Jeff. Would you stop what you're doing, and would you fly to Washington, D.C.? Would you go to Walter Reed Army Medical Center, which is the premier medical facilities in the United States Army at the time, And would you meet with this mother and this ranger who is in very, very critical condition? So now would you take us through, you get a call that Ben has been shot by a sniper all the way up until the point that you and I meet together in Washington, D.C. Yep, I got, so I got that call on the 10th of July in 2009. And my greatest concern was, was his leg okay? 
that was the only question I had for the company commander that had called me. You know, he said because he was shot in the leg. That's what the commander told you, right? Shot in the leg. Yep. And you and were wondering, is he going to lose his leg? Is he going to lose his leg? Because that was the vision that I had of uh, war fighters coming home with injuries is that they're missing right. limbs. I thought, oh, my mm -hmm. God, you know, is my son now going to be, you know, a guy that has a prosthetic leg? But he said, I uh, know his leg is, is fine. You know, the surgery went well. We're just waiting for him to wake up. Mm -hmm. So I passed all the, the details about the hospital stay and you know, some of the things that happened there. Four days later, Ben lands at Walter Reed. Which is the first time you get a chance to see him, right? Up to this yeah. point, you haven't had a chance to see your son. No, no. They, they, he did, um, I, I say like he bounced through Germany, through the mm -hmm. Army Medical Center there in Landstuhl for about 24 hours. Yeah. And there was possibility that I would, um, Ben would have been flown to Germany. But right. they were, he was stabilized enough that they felt he could make the trip back, you know, across the pond, um, if you will, to Walter Reed. And of course, with any injured warfighter, that's ideally where we want him to end mm -hmm. up is back in the state. Right. So um, Ben ends up at Walter Reed four days after he's been shot. He's undergone surgery to repair the leg. His leg is fine, but he's not regained consciousness. And uh, um, was kept, you know, in a, in a medically induced coma to help fight those injuries. And when he got to Walter Reed, um, I arrived several hours later and he was not conscious. Uh, but it was, it was wonderful to be able to see him. I, I felt blessed about that. I still do to this day that I had that yeah. time in the hospital. Yeah. But the next morning, the doctors met with my mother and I. My mother traveled with me in that mm -hmm. immediate flight. And they told us that they suspected that he was brain dead. And that suspicion came from the uh, manual testing that they had done on him, yeah. reaction from the pupils, non-response from the needle pokes to the palm of his hand and the bottoms of his feet. But they would have to do uh, an official test to determine that, and that test wouldn't be available for several days. So we had some some time in the hospital mm -hmm. there. And that is when uh, we called you. I had a ranger that came back up from Rear D to spend with me and to be there for me and, and, right. with ben and, and, um, the topic of religion had come up and I, I, we spoke about that a little bit. And then Ben had been reading your book. Um, here, a little plug for you, Jeff. I know that's not what this is about. <laughs> but, you know, sure. ben, ben had been reading uh, the road to unafraid and was very, very moved by it. Very moved by it. He told me about it. So I had um, been reading it and finished it and I brought it with, to share with my mother to read because I figured mm -hmm. we'd have downtime in the hospital. So the ranger that was there in Rio D sees the book and uh, mentions your name and, and asks if I know that you are currently the battalion chaplain. And I had no idea. I had no idea. I said, no, he's retired. You know, the back, the back of the book mm -hmm. says he's living with his wife and children in Virginia. In fact, yeah. um, like he's not even at Fort Benning. And, and he said, nope, he's our battalion chaplain. Would you like me to call him? And so literally, you know, within, you know, 36 hours of Ben arriving to Walter Reed, there you um, came, yeah. you know, out of the goodness of your heart and were, you know, bedside um, with Ben at Walter Reed. Well, Jill, it was an honor. Um, it was not hard for me to ask my wife, do you mind if we wrap our vacation up early? I need to go to Walter Reed. I need mm -hmm. to be with Ben, but actually I need to go so that I can be with you, Jill. 
Mm-hmm. And I really, the reason why I wanted to do this episode is to describe what I saw at Walter Reed. Because you're not the only parent who lost a child in combat. In fact, I've interviewed other parents on this podcast that have lost children. But I'm going to say something, Jill, that I mean with every word. I witnessed one of the most courageous decisions I've ever seen a human being make. And I watched you make it personally while you were at Walter Reed. And I sat back and just watched you and thought to myself, this woman is incredible because this is an only child and she is about to make a decision about the end of his life. And I don't know anybody, literally, I've never met another human being that could have or did handle a decision of that magnitude the way you handled it. So now I just want to talk about you for a few minutes. The doctors come in, they say, we're convinced he has no brain activity. He's not going to come out of this coma. And Jill, now you have a really hard decision to make. And I don't want the listener to miss this. So I'm going to say it like a third time. You are a single mom. This is your only child. And the doctors are saying, you have to decide whether or not to remove him from life support. Can you describe that decision? Yeah. Wow. Um, thank you, Jeff, for the compliments though, about me that, that means a lot coming from you and, and, uh, Ben connected us and God connected us, you know, all those years ago at Walter Reed. And, and, uh, that obviously plays into why we're here today that we maintain that relationship, but facing that decision was something that I never imagined. As I alluded to a few minutes earlier, that I never, ever put myself in the position in my mind that Ben would lose his life. I never thought that because I had lost a brother when I was 15 years old. He was hit by a car and uh, actually was dead at the scene of the accident, but there was high patrol, a couple cars behind Mm -hmm. him. He resuscitated him, got him to the hospital, which was only a mile away. And he ended up being brain dead. And as a family, we decided to donate his organs. We were asked. Yeah. Okay. So I need the listener to hear this from you again. Your mother and you have already gone through this terminating a child from life support when you're 15. And now you're a mother. This is your only child. And you have to make the same decision, which means for you, all of those memories and all of the pain of the past weighs in on this. It, it is, it's unimaginable, the decision in the first place, but having gone through this in the past makes it even worse, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it, it does. Um, from the outside looking in, Jeff, it absolutely does seem worse. However, I viewed it as a blessing almost immediately because my brother's death helped prepare me for Ben's. Yeah. And I had my mother sitting right next to me in that room when I was having the final conversation or not the final, well, the conversation with the doctor about the final decision for Ben's life. And I immediately um, took it personal and thought, you know, how in the world could God do this to two women right. in the same family? Uh, of course. And, and, and I believed that with that, the death of my brother at such a young age that uh, a thought that I never shared out loud was that I had already paid the piper. I felt fortunate that 
I already had that really awful thing happen to me that everybody is going to have happened to them uh-huh. at some point in their life. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm so young. This has already happened to me, so I'm I'm good. And I, in, in hindsight, I know that that was probably the most selfish thought I've ever had in my life. And so here I was facing that decision um, to remove my own child's yeah. life support. Yeah. And and I had a fleeting moment of anger. And, and, it, and it was the only anger that I had regarding Ben's death. And it changed as soon as I looked at my mother, who was sitting right next to me. We were in kind of an oversized chair, you know, one of uh-huh. those chairs that's big enough for two people to sit in. Yeah. And when I looked at her face with the news that the doctors had shared that they believed Ben was brain dead and saw the tears streaming down her face, I knew right away that God put her next to me for a reason. Because yeah. she'd already been through it, and it was 27 years earlier that my brother had died. So she was the picture of survival for me, that she had lived through this and survived it for 27 years. And if she could yeah. do it, I could do it, and I would have her there with me to be that pillar of strength. But in in that moment, the doctors asked if I would consider donating Ben's organs. Yeah. And... I didn't hesitate at all to say yes. There was no hesitation. And it was because we donated my brother's organs 27 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. And it was a conversation that I had had with Ben about, you know, should that time come up um, in his life? And we had it from a very young age. It was something because of my, my brother's death that we had spoke about as a family. But because Ben was 21, that decision would legally be up to him had he made yeah. no that. So we went on a quest to actually my, my, my ranger angel, I call him, the, the man that came up um, uh-huh. from Rear D, um, Phil Paquette. I'll say his name. That's okay. Phil mm-hmm. Paquette. You can hear this, Phil. You know how much I love you. Um, yeah. He went on a search to find Ben's blue book to see if Ben had actually made note of being wanting to be an organ donor, and he did. We found that blue book, and there was a question that asked, in the event of your death, do you wish to be an organ donor? Ben wrote, Yes. The question that followed asked which ones, and Ben wrote in any that are needed. And so eight days after Ben was shot in Afghanistan, he was declared brain dead, removed from life support, and donated all of his major organs, which were heart, liver, and kidneys, which directly saved the lives of four people. And then we also donated his bone, skin, and tissue, which enhanced the lives of almost 60 more people. Wow. Yeah, so the blue book that Jill just mentioned, the Rangers used to ask everybody, before you go off to combat, here's some information that we're going to ask you, and we're going to do everything in our power to honor your wishes if you don't make it back. That information was all packaged in a little booklet that had a blue cover. So we all called it the blue book. Mm-hmm. I remember filling that thing out many times. I remember yeah. those questions well. And Jill, one of the reasons why I used to elbow people and point at you and say, you really need to meet this lady. You really need to go talk to her is because what I witnessed when you made that final decision. So I'm in the room. I'm listening to the doctors telling you that's it. He's not going to survive. You have some tough decisions to make. And I watched you and your mother sitting in that chair. And what I saw blew me away. In fact, I remember saying to you after it was over with Jill, are you sure you're taking this 
seriously. Not that you're blowing this off, but like, do you understand the gravity of this? Because I've never seen a human being handle the kind of decisions that you have to make as well as you're making them. And I kind of wondered, like, do you really understand the decisions that you're making? And that's when I learned about your mother. That's when I learned about your brother and your past. And to this day, I, what I witnessed in those in that hospital room, just watching you make these decisions has stuck with me. Um, you may not know this, but after I got back from spending time with you and Ben, in the hospital before he was removed from life support. I came back and I had already done this personally, but I challenged all of my family. When you get to the age that you can make this decision, you need to decide to go ahead and donate your organs as well. Cause I've just seen what it can do for somebody else. So let's go over these details again. Right. It's Christmas this week. Mm-hmm. And people are going to open up packages and they're going to have some gifts in there. And some of them don't mean anything to them. Some of those gifts, you're going to cherish that memory for the rest of your life. But Ben, at his death, literally gave life to mm-hmm. four people. In fact, one of those four people was a family member that you guys didn't even know about. So let's talk about the people that six people's quality of life changed because of Ben's death. Four people got a new chance at life because this is the ultimate Christmas gift. So tell about the organs that saved four lives um, after Ben passed. Yeah, it was uh, the heart, kidneys, and liver. And the woman that received his heart was an acquaintance of a family member. So not Mm -hmm. not a family member. Yeah, not a direct family. Sorry, not a direct family member, but an acquaintance. There was a, a connection there, an acquaintance of a family member. And when we sat down in the room with the, the surgeons to talk about which of Ben's organs we were going to donate and they were explaining to us how that process worked, they told us that we could directly donate, that we could directly donate any of Ben's major organs to someone, if, number one, if they were on the list, and number two, if they were a match. And mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't, none of us, you know, my parents and I were in there, and I think you were in on that meeting as well, um, we didn't know anybody. And so it, mm-hmm. that question kind of was like, okay, in one out, the other, you know, next. Until two days later, uh, I got notification through my cousin that uh, she had a friend who was waiting for a heart. Now, nobody knew that we could make this direct donation. That right. message from her came in, in the means of thanking me for agreeing to let Ben be an organ donor because she mm-hmm. had a friend who was waiting for a heart. So. Once I got wind of that, um, I got all excited. It was like pulling three sevens on a on a one armed bandit, you know, at the casino. Yeah, like, oh yeah. goodness, you know, the lights are going off. Like now, I know somebody who needs a heart. And so, long story short, I got her people in touch with my people and just put it in God's hands. And less than twenty four hours later, was notified that they were in fact a match. And uh, um, that was an absolute miracle. That was a yeah, uh, as it my, really was. My aunt put it, it was a, a true Catholic miracle that that wasn't yeah. green lights all the way to work type of miracle. You know, right. this was a true Catholic miracle and, and meant to be. And so Ben's heart um, was donated to her. She lived in suburban Chicago at the time mm-hmm. and was she fit that criteria not only to be matched as an organ donor, but within a, a mileage limit to get that heart yeah. there yeah. in time. So as, as we speak, Jeff, that was... 13, almost 13 and a half years mm-hmm. ago. 
And Ben's heart is still alive and well um, in that woman's chest. And um, she's been living with it for 13 years. Yeah. And lungs and kidneys as well saved somebody's life. Yeah. Um, liver and kidneys. Liver. liver and kidneys. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I want you to, uh, for the listener, I want you to just think about this for a second. Imagine you're this lady, you have a heart condition, you know that the medical doctors can't fix this heart condition and you know it will kill you mm-hmm. unless somebody else gives their heart and you get like, this is the grand prize of organ donors, right? You get a very young, extremely healthy army ranger who is killed in combat. And you get a heart that is kind of like, uh, that heart is strong and healthy and going to keep going for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Jill, you and I have been talking about doing this episode for a long time and we saved it on purpose for the week of Christmas to say, Imagine getting that phone call as that family friend saying, hey, we've got a donor and it's somebody close to you and it cost them their life so that you could have a new heart. But the heart's ready for you. Show up for surgery on this date and you get 13 more years of life and still beating. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, yeah. (laughs) Um, it's, you know, I don't know the side of the, the recipient very well at all, but one thing I have learned um, through her, and I have a friend who was in need of a heart a few years ago mm-hmm. as well, is the waiting is, is horrible for them. Oh, yeah. They're, 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 they're not wishing for anybody to die, but they know that their only hope is in the death of somebody else who's been generous enough to check that box and state that. Right on their death, they're willing to save the lives of people whom they would never, ever meet. And sometimes those matches don't work out. You know, they can, they get scheduled for a surgery and it gets canceled at the last minute. And so they have this rise and fall of hope. And in this case, you know, Judy is still living 13 years later. And the the two men who received a, a liver and one of the kidneys are still living as well today, you know, 13 and a half years later. And uh, the other gentleman who received Ben's other kidney, he passed away eight months after receiving Ben's kidney Mm -hmm. of a completely unrelated health issue. But it was his wife and son were so grateful for those eight healthy months that he had with Ben's kidney. Wow. They actually put a memorial table out for Ben at his funeral. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still in touch with all of those people today. Yeah. Still today, they're grateful. Hey, for the listener, this episode isn't about getting you to donate your organs. That's not what this is about. It's actually about honoring a mother who gave up her only son, a single mother who gave up her only son for the cause of freedom. It's about honoring Ben, a warrior who gave his life up. And Jill, I want to kind of wrap up by saying the funeral that I was honored to witness was just incredible the the way that the entire town poured out to honor Ben and to recognize you man that was spectacular i i will carry those memories of, with me for the rest of my life too so ben had some big wishes for his funeral and you were able to pull all those off so can you describe just for a little bit what it was like in your town when the town honored Ben and honored you at his funeral. 
Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's something that people still talk about to this day with me as well, Jeff. And going back to that blue book, one of the questions that were asked in there is, is there anything else that you want after asking, you know, what kind of music flowers, where do you want to be laid to rest? You know, uh, buried, cremated, pallbearers, speakers, Mm -hmm. all, all those things. And then there was the final question, anything else. And Ben was sitting there with a buddy and uh, filling this out together. And Ben wrote in a Blackhawk flyover. And his buddy laughed at him. Like, Are Which you- is unheard of in military funerals. Let me just say well, that. For a, for a private. For a private. Yeah, sure. You know, for a private. There's no way you're going to get a Blackhawk flyover. And Ben said, I don't care. You know, he was a go big or go home kind of guy. That's right. Yep. And uh, when when my, my ranger angel, you know, Paquette, saw that he wrote that, we had a good laugh. And it was funnier to him than to me because I didn't really know like the enormity of what that ass yeah, was. Because he, he knew that ain't ever going to happen. He knew that, but I know, I know now, you know, in hindsight, having been in this community for as long as I have now, but he said, we're going to make it happen. We are going to make this happen. And I didn't know mm-hmm. how it was going to happen. I just left it in their hands and they made it happen. The Rangers made that happened and yeah. then got a Blackhawk flyover and it was really, really cool. And people still tell me about that to this day. And, and we had Ben's funeral at his high school and we had it in the gymnasium. Um, very much like the patriotic country songs you hear about, you know, we had, yeah. we had the funeral in the gymnasium and the whole town showed up and, and that's, that's what it was like. Um, but because we had, we didn't have a, um, uh, service prior to the high school on that mm-hmm. morning. And there was, I knew there was going to be too many people there. So Ben's body was brought in the hearse uh, three miles away or four miles away right. from the funeral home to the high school. And what that Blackhawk did is escort the right. the hearse um, above the above them, obviously, yeah. and just led the way to the high school. It's one of the most incredible things that I ever saw and that most people did. And you could hear that helicopter coming and anyone who's in the military or maybe watched old MASH episodes, like yeah, you also yeah. went chopper, you know, like uh-huh. you could hear the chopper coming and it, it followed Ben all the way till they took his body out of the, the casket, out of the back of the yeah. earth. It lowered itself a little bit and then flew off. It was the ultimate yeah. final salute um, to Ben from the military and from the community there as they all showed up and just lined the streets with flags and honoring him and filled up that gymnasium to give him yeah. a final send off. Well, the, I was in the funeral procession and mm-hmm. I've never seen before or since a helicopter that literally hovered above the casket all the way to the funeral site, the school gymnasium. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also remember the entire town, stopped what they were doing and they all lined the streets and they all stood on the overpasses and they all showed respect for you and for Ben. And I thought to myself, this is the kind of respect that citizens deserve to give to a warrior and to a mother who's just given a son. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still remember, you know, the the crowd in that gymnasium that was it held thousands and it was standing room only. That's how many people wanted to come out and honor you and honor Ben. Yeah. And rightly so, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was very special. It was very special. When I started the planning, 
I knew that uh, a funeral home wasn't going to be big enough. I knew that the church was not going to be big enough. Yeah. And so I went, hey, how about the high school gymnasium? I think that would be a perfect spot. And, and it was. Yeah. And it was. Jill, you took a little bit of this and turned it into a book um, just to describe the heart, uh, your son's heart. And I don't mean just literally, I mean also figuratively, the kind of heart that it takes to become an Army Ranger. And yeah. then that heart going on and continuing to beat 13 and a half years after his passing. Mm-hmm. Um, remind me about the title of that book. Heart of a Ranger. Yeah. Heart of a Ranger. And I, I, I'm Perfect not title. the author. Um, I, I helped write it um, through editing and just making certain that the, the facts were correct. But Bill Lunn, L-U-N-N, is the author yeah. of that book uh, entitled Heart of a Ranger in uh we released that book five years ago. Um, it's done well, and it is the biography of, of Ben's life. Yeah, I want people to hear, not n- not just about the book, I wanted people to hear from you. I wanted the people to hear the heart of a ranger mother, and what I witnessed in that hospital room blew me away, the kind of courage, the kind of strength that you had. I don't know that I've ever seen seen that from a mother who was forced to make the kind of decisions that you made. And Jill, to this day, I am amazed. It's an honor just to call you a friend and to tell people about your story. I consider it as much your story as Ben's story. So thank you for being part of this episode today. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. Hey, um, I want to say Merry Christmas to you before we wrap up. But if if people want to learn more about you or if they want to find if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can do that via my website, which is I am Jill Stevenson dot com. So it's I am J I L L S T E P H E N S O N dot com. There's uh, all kinds of information about me, my public speaking, a lot of information about Ben. The book, I, I believe, is available there. If not, um, you can find it on Amazon, or you have the ability to send me a message through my website, and I have um, books on hand as well, yeah. if anybody's interested. We'll, we'll put links to your website, IamJillStevenson.com. We'll also put links, if you want to try to find a copy of the book, Heart of a Ranger, we'll put links on that book. Um, I'm not sure if it's still available like on Amazon up there, but Mm -hmm. if it is, we'll put links to that. But Jill, I want to tell you, it's an honor um, to be able to know you and to see all that you've done and not just with Ben at the end of his life, but the way that you continue to lead and to serve people by being a speaker and challenging audiences and even representing other military families that have lost somebody in um, combat. So thank you for being part of this special Christmas episode of Unbeatable. Thank you, Jeff. And Merry Christmas to you and your family as well. Yeah. How could losing a brother at 15 years old become a blessing for you later on in life? Well, Jill just described it. It was the moment that prepared her to make the same decision her mother had to make when she was a 15-year-old girl. It was what prepared Jill to make the decision to remove Ben from life support and to donate his organs. And I don't know what you're going through right now. I'm not sure the challenges that you're going to go through in 2023, but maybe you're going through something really difficult right now to prepare you for what may be coming next year 
or in a few years. Whatever it is, be unbeatable. Be like Jill. Don't give up. Don't give in. I want to tell you thank you. Thank you for joining me for this very special Christmas episode of Unbeatable. And for those of you who have found this podcast for the first time, would you just go ahead and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform? If you really liked what you heard today, why don't you send us a message on social media? Or better yet, why don't you go ahead and follow us on your favorite social media platform? Just search for at Unbeatable Podcast and you'll follow us on whatever is your favorite social media platform. It's Christmas and I got a gift for you. It's a video. It's a video that I spent a lot of time and honestly a lot of money making for you just to help you face challenges, to help you be unbeatable when life is unbearable. And this video is my free gift. All you have to do to get it is simply go to my website, go to unbeatablearmy.com and you'll see a link to be able to access this Ranger video to help you be unbeatable. If you want to become part of the Unbeatable Army, you can do it right there too. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for being part of the greatest fans on the planet. I hope you have a Merry Christmas, and I'll see you right back here next week. God bless you.